Stop trying to save me, Xander. All right. You can save me. Just a little. You know, if you must. Hi, and welcome to Still Pretty. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media, and we are here today to talk about Selfless, the fifth episode of season seven. Selfless aired on October 22nd, 2002, and was written by Drew Goddard, with Rebecca Rand Kirshner as executive story editor and Drew Z. Greenberg as story editor. This episode was directed by David Solomon. Unlike most episodes of Buffy, Selfless is mostly one story, Anya's identity story. There's no B-plot, nothing else really happening in the background. We open Selfless with Willow's return to UC Sunnydale, but even that is part of Anya's story. It's that convergence on campus that connects the Scoobies to Anya's latest act of vengeance. Aside from one really beautiful scene with Spike and a few telling moments with Willow, this story is entirely Anya's identity story. Now, one could argue that this leads to what's wrong with Selfless. The weird flashbacks, the musical number, things that could feel a little bit like filler. As we try to fill in the space that would ordinarily be taken up by a B-plot, and I am not immune to that argument. But even those elements, which are more missed than hit, there's something deliberate happening. We're not just filling time. Each of those scenes speaks directly to Anya's tendency to allow herself to be defined by either her man or her job. And it leads to some thoughtful and sophisticated representation of who Anya is and isn't. All right, let's get into the weeds. In Selfless, Anya calls in a spider demon to rip the hearts out of a bunch of frat boys after they play a cruel prank on a young girl. I wish you could all feel what it's like to have your hearts ripped out. Willow investigates and discovers what happened, then confronts Anya. Well, that's great, Willow. Played anybody lately, have you? Xander and Buffy go out to take on the spider demon with different approaches to the problem. And in some sort of spider demon protection element, we come back and... <laughs> When Buffy decides she has to kill Anya, Xander tries to talk her out of it. When our friends go out crazy and start killing people, we help them. Sitting right here. We get a series of strange flashbacks, all pointing to Anya's struggle to find her own sense of identity. Vengeance is what I am. Buffy and Anya fight in the frat house while Willow calls to Hoffren to the scene to fix things. Miss Rosenberg, how lovely to see you again. Have you done something with your hair? Anya asks to Hoffren to reverse her vengeance knowing it will cost the life and soul of a vengeance demon to undo the damage. She agrees, and DeHoffrin takes Hallie and fires Anya, leaving her human once again. Haven't I taught you anything, Anya? Never go for the kill when you can go for the pain. And when Xander offers his help, Anya refuses, choosing instead to figure out who she is, now that she's not defining herself through a man or through vengeance. What if I'm really nobody? And off screen, in a UC Sunnydale frat house, a lot of boys wake up completely confused. It's like somebody slaughtered an Abercrombie and Fitch catalog. When I teach my students about the importance of vulnerability, I give them four main sources of vulnerability. Love, fear, shame, and identity. Identity is always the hardest one to talk about because it's complicated. To my students, college kids in their late teens and early 20s, the idea of who are you seems uncomplicated, and they don't question identity much. But anyone who has ever defined themselves through something external, a job, a religion, a major, a significant other, 
and have that thing fall away from them can understand what loss of identity feels like. It's disorienting and it's terrifying. Back in season four, we explored identity stories pretty vigorously. Giles lost his job both as librarian and watcher, and he struggled to find his place in the world and in Buffy's life. Buffy went to college and had to shift back into secret identity mode while falling in love with Riley, who had a secret identity all his own. Spike lost his identity when he could no longer feed on or even hurt humans. Willow expanded her identity as she lost Oz, found Tara, and expanded her magical powers. Xander struggled to find himself as he was no longer a high school student, but not a college student either. During season four, Anya was probably the only character who didn't go through an identity shift. She clung to Xander, and he became her identity. Now, this isn't a season four recap podcast, so we'll leave that there. But as we come back to this place in the present, Anya's struggle to know who and what she is becomes clear, and that she's trying once again to fit herself into an identity space that isn't right for her. Since Hell's Bells in Season 6, when Xander left Anya at the altar, I've been celebrating Anya's rediscovery of herself as a vengeance demon, and it was glorious there for a while. But the fact is, Anya's identity story is the right story to tell for her right now, and I love that they made the move back into the vengeance fold a struggle for her. Because the truth is, you can't ever go home again, can you? But Anyanka, there's a whole world out there. Yes, filled with wronged women who need my help. Oh, you're talking about work. I'm talking about life. Vengeance is what I do, Halfrek. While the flashbacks are, admittedly, not my favorite parts of this episode, there's some good stuff here. The scenes themselves are a little too cutesy for my taste. Anya's passionate defenses of socialism and communism. Okay. The stupid bunny joke that started casually in season four's fear itself and has somehow managed to keep on going despite not being very good is once again resurrected. The really odd film scratch flashbacks with Olaf look like a 1970s student film and reference a medium that is a thousand years out of time for that memory. I don't get what that's about. The song. Oh god, the song is bad. And her hair didn't look like that during Once More with Feeling, but whatever. The revolution scene with Halfrek, though, it's good. I like that one. In the end, each of these scenes, except the revolution, seems to get distracted by its own conceit. But underneath, we are seeing the evolution of Anya's sense of identity always tied up in either a man or her vocation as a vengeance demon. But the present scenes are beautifully, carefully, and specifically drawn to speak to the fact that in the past, Anya always had a clear sense of who she was, even if that sense was borrowed. Now we see her struggling to meld the two parts of herself, human and demon, and being unable to be fully either. The fight with Buffy isn't a problem for Anya. She clearly wants to commit suicide by Slayer. While she's fighting back, she doesn't hurt Buffy. She doesn't even try very hard. But if Buffy can't kill her even with a sword through the chest, then this approach isn't going to work that well. It isn't until Dehofrin shows up and Anya asks to take it back that we see her truly wishing to die. This is when we see that Anya's human side is winning out over her demon side, which we knew already since her chat with Halfrek in the coffee shop and lessons. But now Anya knows it, and there's no way to go back again. Can't be demon. Can't be human. Better to just not be. Dehofrin explains that reversing vengeance of that magnitude will require the life and soul of a vengeance demon, and it seems Anya's finally going to get her wish until the twist 
in which de Hoffren takes Halfrecht's life and soul instead. I've got plenty of girls. There will always be vengeance demons. But now you, Anya, you're out. Congratulations. Your wish is granted. With that, Anya is human again. And when Xander chases after her, not wanting her to be alone, she chooses to be alone to figure out who she is now. It's good stuff. I can help you. I can never ask. Not after. It's different. You're different. While this episode is definitely 95% Anya, the little notes we do get that aren't about Anya are also about identity, which I think is pretty nice. In the last episode, Help, and in this episode, we get very little spike, but what we get is devastatingly to the point. He isn't quite as delusional as we've seen him in the past, but he is completely wrapped up in his own torment and figuring out who and what he is. Spike's identity story has been a long one, starting in season four when he couldn't be a full vampire anymore, and moving into seasons five and six with the push-pull between monster and man, which was stated beautifully at the end of season five in The Gift. I know you never loved me. I know that I'm a monster, but you treat me like a man, and that's... Get your stuff up right here. Getting his soul was his solution to this essential split in identity. And we have the irony of the monkey's paw in that the very thing he wished for only heightened the divide between what he wanted to be and what he could never be. Spike always lives between the two dimensions of monster and man, although prior to getting his soul, the monster was always his true self. The man part of him existed only for Buffy, and then it was only play acting. He wasn't a monster because he had a leash jammed on him, but for the brief moment last year when he was able to hit Buffy without the chip going off and he thought something in him had changed rather than something in her, the first thing he did was try to feed again. Granted, he struggled with it a bit. The man in him did hold some power, just not nearly enough. Now the balance of power between man and monster is more evenly matched, and Spike is suffering more than ever between the two extremes, unable to be one or the other. And this is slightly off topic, but what the hell, it's my show, right? There are two other things that I absolutely love in this short but powerful scene with Spike. One is that we have the Buffy illusion, wearing white, being kind, reaching out to Spike and comforting him. We may not know what this is yet, but the last time we saw that particular illusion, she was the oldest, baddest, evilest evil the world had ever seen. Then we have our real Buffy stomping into the basement, pissed off, wearing black, bluntly telling Spike to get his shit together. I like that we've dressed the seemingly good Buffy in white, the representative color of goodness, but she's not to be trusted. The seemingly bad Buffy, cranky, mean, blunt, is in black, the traditional color of darkness. But her intent is to help Spike by kicking him out of his self-pity party. My second side note before we get back to the other subtle identity stories of the day is Spike's throwaway line. Scream Montresor all you like, pet. This isn't a big deal, but this is a deep-cut reference to the Edgar Allan Poe story, The Cask of Amontillado, in which a character named Montresor chains an enemy inside a catacomb and walls him in, not unlike Dennis's mother and angel for those who remember Room with a View, while the victim cries out to Montresor, who ignores him. 
It's not that the reference is particularly apt. I just love how casually it's thrown out there. I haven't read the story. I had no idea what it meant. I had to look it up on Wikipedia. But when I looked it up, it was a joyous little intellectual Easter egg. We're seeing this kind of thing more often in television now, where references are dropped for viewers to pick up or not. No harm to the people who don't get it, but so much fun for the people who know or who hunt down the reference. All right, let's get back on track with identity. There are two more identity stories going on in Selfless. Let's go to Willow's. Last time in Help, she expressed to Xander that she was afraid of her power, and at that time, I didn't really buy it. Dark Willow was consumed by grief and fury. Yes, she tapped into dark sources of power and did terrible things, but it wasn't really Willow. Not the way Spike is really a monster. And yet, when she uses her power to protect herself and the girl in the closet from the spider demon... For God's sake, shut your whimpering mouth. That moment when her eyes went dark and she snapped at that girl, I felt it. I believed it. And for the first time since she's come back, I understand that Willow isn't just worried that she might let the darkness back in. She's coping with the fact that it'll never go away. It will never not be a part of her. Another small detail that may not mean anything, but I choose to believe it does. When Willow goes to explore the fraternity house, her outfit is an updated callback to early seasons Willow. A simple shirt, modest skirt, and opaque leggings. Even the costume designer is integrating all the Willows together as Willow tries to integrate her new identities. And it's a nice visual reference. Willow's confidence has been waning since the beginning of season seven when she worried with Giles about going back and worried with Xander about being able to handle her power. But when she walks into Anya's apartment and challenges Halfrek, Get out. Lemon drop. If you think I'm get gonna... Get out. Even after just experiencing the very moment of darkness she was afraid of, Willow moves through this episode in the background like a badass. And this is my favorite Willow to date. Last and sadly least, as Buffy has really been somewhat in the background of her eponymous show lately, is Buffy, who's the only person who's completely clear on who she is and what she needs to do. When Willow tells Buffy and Xander about Anya, Buffy is completely clear on what she needs to do. And when Xander challenges her, she stands her ground with complete security in who she is. You, you get down on me for cutting myself off, but in the end, the Slayer is always cut off. There's no mystical guidebook, no all-knowing counsel. Human rules don't apply. There's only me. I am the law. In the midst of all these identity struggles, Buffy has total and complete clarity on who she is and what she has to do. And that may well be why she's been somewhat backgrounded in season seven. Stories about struggle, and this season, at least so far, Buffy is strong. It's just what... Happy ending. It is impossible, at least for me, to remember every element in every specific episode of Buffy, so when I return to episodes I haven't seen in a while, I remember them based on their identifier, the most memorable element of that specific episode. Often that presents in the monster of the week, and I found that if I didn't care for that monster, I usually don't remember the episode fondly, and often I find myself pleasantly surprised when the episode is better than I remember. The identifier, the most memorable element for me in Selfless, has always been the musical number, a memory that comes from the timeline of Once More with Feeling, and it's not good. So whenever I think back on Selfless, I think of that song and the weird Olaf flashbacks and the bunny and the socialism jokes, and I think, ugh. 
But the wonderful discovery in Selfless is that the memorable things aren't the heavy-hitting moments of the episode, and what lies underneath the conceit of those moments and in the rest of the episode is a strong story about identity, belonging, and the lonely road everyone has to take in order to find out who and what they truly are. That'll do it for today. Remember to visit Chipperish Media at chipperish.com for more great podcasts, including Sex and Whiskey, an Outlander vlog and podcast done in the style of Still Pretty, but with more, you know, Sex and Whiskey. I'll see you next time with my thoughts on Season 7, Episode 6, Him. Until then, stay pretty. Still Pretty is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely patron-supported. To find out how you can keep us in production, visit patreon.com slash chipperish.